So open up your Bible. We're going to be in Daniel 9, 20 this morning. Verse 20. And it starts out, uh, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I've come to tell you. I love that part. As soon as you began to pray, God sent me. I was on my way while you were still praying. Uh, now, for some of us, we wish it would be instant, right? But sometimes we wait for the angel to arrive. Now, where was I? See, this is what happens when I get off my notes. 23, as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and the understanding of the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, and to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this, for the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be 77s and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people and the ruler will come, uh, will, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. The desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, everybody understands this, right? I mean, this is, again, this is another one of those chapters in Daniel that you kind of leave just scratching your head. So we're going to try to go through it and see what we can come up with it. Because there's a lot of disagreement on this chapter and, that, you know, on these verses. And that's okay. It's okay to disagree. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. So the angel Gabriel comes to him in prayer. And he says, 77s are decreed or are set apart the Hebrew, and we've been talking about this last couple of Wednesday nights, a couple of people, but in the Hebrew, the number seven is significant. The word is shabu. It also means weak, okay? It is used in Hebrew like, like we use the term dozen, you know, when, you know, dozen whatever. It can be, you know, uh, uh, it can mean actual 12 or it can mean a set, you know, three dozen or something like that, you know. We use those terms all the time. So when he says seven, the word weak and the words seven are interchangeable in that. So when Gabriel comes to Daniel and says there are 77s coming, Daniel hears there are 70 sets of seven similar things coming. And many scholars think 70 sets is weeks or years. In other words, a week of years would be seven years. Others don't go so far. They say the first, seven, the first seven is 49 years, and it means something. And some go the other direction. So it, it kind of it gets confusing. 
But there's a second set of 62, and it means something also. So you have the first set and the second set, and then you put them together, and it means something else entirely. So not confusing, right? So, you know, so some think it literally means 483 years, and then you have one week. But I have to tell you that respectable Bible scholars do not agree on these things. And it's actually right now, it's a key point of contention in a lot of seminaries in these classes. And I know from experience, it can be a pain to sit through these classes where they're just going back and forth. And you're just sitting back in the back going, will they just be quiet? I would use stronger terms, but the kids are sitting here, okay? We're not supposed to use certain words, you know. But you're like, come on on just that's enough so what are they disagreeing on are there 70s are there 77s are they really sets of seven calendar years and if so if you decide calendar years what calendar are you going to agree upon because there's a lot of different calendars has been you know used throughout history you have the Babylonian calendar, you have the Egyptian calendar, you have the Chinese calendar, you have the, Jew, uh, the Jewish lunar calendar, our calendar, 365.25 days in a year. So which calendar are you going to use to count these from? And of course, you have some will say, well, well, the Jewish lunar calendar, right? Because they're Jews, right? And some say the exact years are exact days. So, so to start with the prophecy and count 483 years, and you actually come up with the date around the time of the crucifixion. And then, then there are others that are, say, the 77, uh, 70 sets of years, but we don't know the calendar or even if they're human years because a year to God is what? Like a thousand, you know, it can be interchangeable. So we're trying to figure all this out. You know, and so some people say, don't be so literal. Just, just understand it's a period of time. And then there are other scholars that say it's not about the exact years. It's about the end times, and it's symbolic, and it has bigger truths to it. All these positions actually have valid points. This is an end time book. We do know that numbers mean something significant. And the books, you know, written about the end times, uh, Revelation 7 means one thing, but oftentimes it also means something else. In fact, in the, in the Word of God, 10, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3 and a half, 3, and 1 all have meanings in the Word of God. And they, they usually mean the same thing throughout Scripture, but we need to understand what they mean throughout the Word of God. The numbers 7 and 10 are, are both numbers of completion, things that God has completed. The Ten Commandments, right? They kind of encapsulate all the 622 or 614, depending on how you count, all the little commandments. They're all sub, you know, those are all subtitles of the Ten Commandments. You have the Ten Plagues. God completed it. So Gabriel comes along and did something, uh, you know, and, and did someone, you know, and, and we're like, did someone say something about 70? And we're like, oh, man, God loves that number. It reveals certain things to us. Now, before we really dive into all of this, a general rule of thumb when dealing with end times. How many of you like end time stuff? Anyone? Several. Okay, that's good. A general rule of thumb is it is confusing and it remains confusing. Okay, you are not going to solve every little thing when it comes to end times. 
There's really, really good, solid people who can't agree on what it actually means. And they, you know, they go back and forth, and some say, look at the details. Others say, you got to look at the whole picture. And, and you know, if you look at too many details, you, you get lost in the one pixel, and you get lost in the details. It, become, it can become complicated for a young Christian or a really busy person or a lazy person that just goes, ah, forget it. I'll stick with Philippians or, or you know, John or something like that because I, can't, I can understand that kind of stuff. And this is like not eating your vegetables. Anybody love eating vegetables? Wow, you crazy people, you know. That's why we go through the, the Bible verse by verse, book by book. It's like eating our vegetables. I had a friend of mine that, uh, that ate too many things all at once, and, and their, their kid loved carrots, and they kept eating carrots, and the family kept feeding them more and more carrots. I'm not joking. The kid turned orange. They go to the doctor and say, what's going on? And the doctor said, what are you feeding this kid? And they said, well, he loves carrots. He goes, Plain and simple, don't feed them too many carrots. When we get stuck eating one thing too much, that's why discussing end times is good, but we can't get lost in it. We can't stay there for our whole lives. So, you know, we, we have to back away and read the other scriptures also. Now, on the other hand, other hand it can be kind of fun to, to figure it out. So let's go through some of it as we figure some of this out. So Jeremiah speaks for God through the scripture, and Daniel's reading it, and we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. He's reading it, and he reads it, that they're gonna be in isolation, they're gonna be in Babylon, they're gonna be you know, taken away from their homeland for 70 years, and he's looking at his watch, counting the, you know, the, 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 the calendars, and going, okay, it's almost up. The year of completion is almost here, and Daniel goes, this is great, and he starts to seek God. He repents for Israel's sin, as we talked about, and, and it, you know, he's just focused on those 70 years. He wants to know, when are we out of here, right? That's what I would want to know. And the quickest way to do this is to repent of our sins and recognize that. And, and basically says, God, you're going to keep your promise. We're repenting. 70 years, we need to be out of here. And Gabriel shows up and says, yeah, that's great. God has forgiven you. God has heard your prayer. You were beloved. You were a righteous guy, and you were being blessed. And I want you to know that God is not focused on your past. He is focused on your future. So you need to stop being so focused on your past as well. Some of us dwell in our past. And God says, that's all great. Ask for forgiveness, I'll forgive you of those things, but now let's focus on our future. Because God wants you to write some stuff down. This is what he tells you know, Daniel, and this is bigger than just your 70-year thing. Sometimes we have to pray about that 70-year thing. And the Holy Spirit shows up and says, yes, God, is, God, is told, uh, God has heard you, now lift your eyes. You need to be focused on something bigger. I want to talk to you about 70 times 7. And we start going, what? But God, I'm, I'm really focused here. And God goes, no, 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 no. I want you to see the bigger picture. I want, to, I, want you to, uh, I want to show you the exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ever ask. If your eyes have seen it, if your ears have heard it, if your mind has conceived it, it's something even beyond that. As long as your mind 
is on you and your perceived problems, then you won't see the things of God. I think that's a good point that we need to be reminded of. If we're so focused on ourselves, then we don't see the points that God wants us to see. You won't see the truth of the universe. You won't see the truth of the word of God. God says your vision is about your situation, your people, and that is good. But my vision is way up here. My vision is much bigger than anything you could imagine. And God shows Daniel a glimpse of that. Not just a 70 Daniel. I will complete that. But we're going to be talking about 70 times 7. And I'm going to complete those things too. Do you remember Jesus uh, saying 70 times 7 to Peter? Do you remember that in the Word of God? You know, Peter comes and says, Man, these other guys, you know, they're, they're really irritating me. I mean, John can just be an idiot sometimes, right? You know, and, and, and I know he's all great and everything, but sometimes, you know, you ought to send him to an island for a few years or something like that. Okay, a couple of you guys got that. Okay, he parred my boat and he put a dent in it, you know, and my nets are all messed up. In other words, we're just complaining about all this stuff. Lord, how many times should I forgive this knucklehead? Now, okay, this conversation happened in my head, not really in Scripture, okay? But, uh, but this part did, where he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone who, who has offended me? And he goes, seven times. And the Lord just kind of looks at him, and I'm sure the Lord is thinking, well, that is more times than you've forgiven other people, so it's a good start. But, I mean, think about this. Have you forgiven somebody seven times? Some of you are like, are you kidding me? This was my first year of marriage, okay? But, you know. But if it's the same sin, then that just counts as one. But, but what does he say? How about 70 times seven? And we're like, okay, 70 times seven. And he may be just saying, okay, it's huge. That's a lot. It's really big. Now, I'm going to give you a glimpse of glory. It is like the lights being turned on in your head. Sometimes it's crystal clear, and sometimes we're like, what? I mean, you know, some of us are like 70, 7 times 7, and, and we're like going, okay, how many? 7 times, that's 409. So, so we're, you know, we're keeping a list. We're going, well, I've forgiven this person 483 times already. Seven more times, and that's it. And, and, and we've missed the point if we're keeping the list. Some scholars agree on this, that Gabriel, you know, appeared to Daniel, and he says, the future. And, you know, he's talking about the future, and the 70 years of captivity are almost up, and there's something to do with this 70 times 7 thing on the horizon. And things will happen, like peace in Israel, and, the, and then peace for the Middle East and all of mankind, and the Messiah brings peace and a solution for all. We know that by reading Revelations, what will happen. But let's look again at this verse, uh, verse uh, 24. It says, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy one. So let's look at all these. Let's split them apart. The first one is transgressions will be finished. The word transgressions is the word rubesha, 
which means rebellion. Our rebellion will be done and over with at one point. Human rebellion will end at some point during the, the 77s. Finish means to be banished or destroyed. So the Messiah is going to do away with all sinning. Transgression is an actual action of sin. And forgiveness of our sins happens when we forgive other people who have sinned against us. That's what the word says. Now secondly, it says sin will be ended. And the word end is destroyed or consumed. So it's not just a behavior of sin, but the actual behavior of sin. Someday after the 77s, Alan will no longer struggle with sin. And some of you are probably thinking, amen, you know? But put your name in there. At some point, you will no longer struggle with that because the Messiah will bring an end to, to our sin. And I don't know how much, you know, how you struggle and how much you might struggle with, with the, your sin this past week, but one day that will come to an end. And some of you ought to be saying amen on that one, you know? Do you know how much energy has taken us to struggle with our sin just in one day? Much less when we don't confess it and it builds up. It can overwhelm us. Now the third thing there says atonement for our wickedness. Kafar is atonement, which means to purge, or to reconcile, or to cover. So Jesus, who fulfilled this on the cross when he came, will complete it when he returns. And our sin will ultimately be atoned for. And you may say, well, Alan, I'm a little confused here. You said you're, you know, the sin was atoned for on the cross. Well, it was. But there's a sense of now and there's a sense of later. The atonement will do away with sin, not just pay for it. See, our sins have been paid for, but the atonement will do away with it complete, uh, completely. It'll be the completion of 70 times 7. The everlasting righteousness, number four, the, it's brought in. It's a beautiful word of, in the Hebrew, it's, it's olam. It means, it means an ancient and perpetual at the same time as in eternal. So this eternal righteousness will be brought in. So it's not a created righteousness, you know, from the cross, paying for sins. This is, this is way before that. It, it's always been. And the cross gave it back to us. The righteousness of God has always existed. This is the Garden of Eden before the relationships deteriorated, before the sin that started with Eve and continued with Adam, before all that. So we will have righteousness. And I think about this righteousness, I think about to my, you know, back to my childhood. Do you remember those um, inflated clowns that had the weight on the bottom? You know what I'm talking about? And you could hit it, and what would happen? It'd come right back up, and if you were... Well, I won't say what I was going to say. If, if you were not as smart as you thought you were and you weren't paying attention, what would happen? It'd bump you right on the nose and knock you down, depending on how big you are, right, and how old you are. You know, it was fun, especially if you're a boy, you know. God's righteousness is like this, not the clown part, okay, but the coming back up. His righteousness always pops back up. No matter what the devil tries to do, his righteousness comes back. See, righteousness is uprightness. 
At the end of days, the uprightness will continue being upright, but not just in God, but in us also. And our unrighteousness will be un- our, our righteousness will be unmovable, unshakable, and the devil can hit us all day long. And guess what? Our righteousness is going to rebound when it's when it's encased with the Holy Spirit and God is in us. Okay, praise the Lord because most of these days, man, I feel pretty shakable. Don't you? I mean, just what has happened in, in the world the last couple of years is unbelievable. You can see how easily end times will happen, right? right? Okay, you're following with me on that? Where everybody just follows along. And I'm not saying that we should, you know, I'm not trying to get on one side or the other on this debate. I'm just saying you can see what will happen in the end times. But theologically, I'm in good shape. Because I'm not, you know, I'm not shakable in my belief. Because my belief comes from the Word of God. So often, you know, oftentimes it's good to know that that when we all come together and we stand before God, we are blameless. Why? Because He forgives our sins. See, often we forget our place with God. Sometimes I just want to come up in the musical part of worship, you know, to God and say, "Hey." I'm not going to hell, so let's sing a little louder. You know what I'm saying? Let's get into worship a little bit more. Let's hear those voices. I, I, I have a terrible voice when it comes to singing. Okay, that's why I'm not up here playing and singing, you know? But I tell you, God wants to hear my voice. He wants to hear your voice. It can remind us our place and our worship toward God. And once we're reminded, then what will happen? The fifth thing, vision and prophecy will be fulfilled or sealed. This is the word katham. It's to fix one seal. It's an image of a king fixing a seal on something, you know, where they would, they would put the, the wax down and they'd take the ring and they'd push it into the wax and it would dry and that the thing would be in there and the seal would be, be, you know, it'd be like, don't touch this unless you're the person that's supposed to. It is authentic. It is sincere. You know the word sincere in, in the book of uh, in the book of First John. You know being uh, being without wax. Because what would they do? They would take these pots that are broken, and they would take this wax and they would mix it with certain dust and certain things, and they would you know fix the seal uh, the, the pot to make it look like it wasn't broken, and then they'd go out and sell it. And, and then you know the government finally came along and said, okay, we need to fix a stamp on these and they would start stamping these things saying they're sincere they're without wax they're not broken okay that's where that word comes from sincere there's no cracks in us we're made whole we're not repaired see the word god uh, used for the, the 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 word is used for god also in other words god is authentic god is sincere god is whole and it's amazing to get a hold of it in our hand. It's amazing when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us. And this is why we're to study the Word of God. This is why we're opposed to dumbing down the teaching. It's wrong to dumb down the teaching. Or to teach concepts from the Bible. That, you know, some people are like, oh, we, we, we don't teach these hard concepts. You know, something we may not understand, or I don't teach something I, I 100% disagree with, or, you know, we should not, you know, I, I don't believe we should be, you know, skipping parts of the Bible. This is why we teach the way we teach. 
Now, we, we try to do it age appropriately also. Some things should wait for little ears to hear, of course, right? You would all agree with that. But not for the case of adults. We teach what is there. See, this concept, it's all about love and relationships. You know, some people are like, well, you can't teach more than 15 minutes because, you know, it's just wrong. You know, people get lost or whatever. When someone says, you know, hey, could, could you not teach so, so long? I'm thinking, uh, wow. You know, or they're like, wow, you, you cover a lot on Sundays. Sometimes you cover too much. And I want to go, but, but, okay, what TV show do you watch? How long does that TV show last? Okay. And do you ever watch two TV shows in a row? You know what I'm saying? If you need a bathroom break, go take a bathroom break. I'm okay with that. But I'm saying, let's not dumb it down. We as Christians should be in the word more and more and more. And we should be, you know, that we would be more of our past and our, our present and our future. The whole idea of the Lord taking care of all of that. We're more than an ancient people. We have a future. And it's not just for knowledge. It's a future of, of taking the Word of God and putting it through our eyes, through our brains, praying it into our hearts, and it comes out of our hands into action into this world. And it's not just for the weekend. It's not just for Sunday. You know, I don't want to get you all riled up on a Sunday just so you'll talk about it on Sunday and never think about it during the week. I'm okay if you disagree with me or agree with me. I don't care which way, you know. As long as it's not a foundational thing of the Word of God, that's the only time I get upset and want to talk about something. But sometimes I misspeak or sometimes I, I may say something that, that I come back and I correct. I did that on Wednesday nights where I, I messed up on something. I said, hey, let me correct this before we go on. But I want to bug you enough for you to open the Word of God and say, okay, Lord, show me what you're saying here. Now, the sixth thing on here was the holy and anointed one. He goes on and says, uh, is the most holy and anointed one. And kodosh actually means sanctuary. And here's a, here's a, picture, of, um, here's a picture of the sanctuary. Uh, this is a model in Jerusalem, and this is what they believe the temple looked like. And, and some people say the temple will be restored on the temple mount, so we should watch for that. There are scriptures that indicate this in the word of God. But there, there, there are those who say, no, since Christ came, there's no talk of a physical building, you know, being a place where God wants to reside, because we're the temple, right? Yeah, but the scriptures say that the temple's going to be rebuilt at the same time. We are the temple. But for the Jewish nation, they don't believe that, so they're going to rebuild that thing when the end time comes. So let's go back to verse 25. Let's say the sevens and tens are about the end time and, and symbolic. But it's possibility, there's a possibility it's about years. And, and I would agree with that. So let's read it again. Verse 25. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seventy sevens and sixty-two sevens. So we have 69, right? Correct me on my math if I'm wrong. I'm just trying to check to see if you're awake. Okay. 
It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. In other words, this means that the city will be restored. And after 62 sevens, so if you're keeping track with me, you know, if you, this is 69 sevens, so we're at 483 years, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the world will come, to, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. Desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So if you add up all the sevens, it ends up being 77 of them. So in all these numbers... It, it, it is a, a calendar years. And we've already said that we don't know which calendar. As long as you don't expect, uh, you know, go exact on me, we can have a little bit of fun. And what I mean is sometimes Christians fight over words. Have you ever noticed that? Christians like to fight with each other. Oftentimes we fight over English words Instead of looking back at the Greek or the Hebrew and trying to figure out the original meaning of the words, we like to fight over translations. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm off my rocker here. Yes? People leave churches over stuff like this, you know? Since, uh, you know, and, and it... Well, let me just go on. I've concluded as I've studied, and if I'm wrong, guess what? That's okay. I'm still going to heaven. But to force an exact seven human years is to maybe force a meaning that's not exactly there. And maybe we're getting a little too close to the picture, uh, you know, uh, getting a little too close and we're seeing the brush strokes instead of seeing the bigger picture. But on the other hand, it doesn't have to be exact. Uh, that during the time of Nehemiah, Artaxerxes allowed Nehemiah to rebuild the temple. So we see this, and here's a, a picture of that, uh, uh, one of the, the walls in Jerusalem. You can see the modern has over, overtaken it. But they've dug this out as, as Nehemiah's wall. And this has been uh, built around uh, that time. And if you go with 69 weeks out there, give or take less than five years, you're at the crucifixion of Christ. And to me, this is really cool. So if you add up all the numbers, you go back, you research it, it takes you to the time of Christ. In other words, Nehemiah's walls, when they, Daniel lets, uh, you know, uh, Artaxerxes lets the, the people go back, you know, I mean, uh, it, my, it went right out of my mind. Darius and Mede lets them go back, and then uh, they get to rebuild the, the temple. Nehemiah builds a wall, so we see that going on. And he says, after this happens, the Messiah will be cut off. And you might remember Jesus standing on the Mount of Olives in the last days of his earthly life. And as he's coming down the Mount of Olives, what is he doing? He's crying. He's crying. And what does it say in Luke 19? Oh, Jerusalem, he's weeping for the city. If only you had known it was your day. It is like he was saying, if only you had interpreted Daniel right, you would have known that Messiah is here. But you Jews, you've rejected him. And here I'm looking at you. Why have you missed me? Instead of recognizing the Messiah, they ended up killing him. And it's not even murder in God's eyes. He was offering himself up. They missed the party. And it was fortunate for us because we are Gentiles. And we benefited from this. 
But on this day to the Jews, until this day, they have still missed it. Now, when we back up and we look at the whole thing, we see the 70 times 7. And we see that God is in complete control of the past, the present, and the future. So we can look at the Messiah, and 69 weeks later, then this was going to happen, and the Messiah was cut off. This is exactly what this is talking about. And I hope I haven't lost you. I know I'm kind of going all over the place. But in Daniel 9.26, the Hebrew phrase here is Meshach Karoth. And I give it to you in the Hebrew because I want you to understand. There's no connecting words between them. It literally means Messiah cut. Messiah killed. Now, Meshiach is easy. It means Messiah. It's the only translation, the anointed one. And Daniel's talking about the Messiah, who we know is Jesus Christ. He says, look for the 69 weeks and then uh, Messiah Karath. In other words, the Messiah's cut off. And, you th- and Karath actually has two different meanings, and they're both correct. One meaning's cut off to kill and, and specifically to et- execute. Now, the other word, which is totally cool, is when you look back and you see the big picture standpoint, it means to cut off the contract. In other words, the contract is cut. It's the Old Testament kind of cutting. We've talked about this before, where what do you do when you make a contract? You know, if, if uh, well, I won't go there. Okay, you basically, you, you take the animal, you split the animal, but since we have little ones, I won't. Uh, go into it. And they basically say, this would happen to you if you break your side of the contract. But God says, he knew that man couldn't keep that up. So he did that. He walked through and he said, no, you don't walk through because I'm going to keep the contract. I've cut a covenant with you. So it is either Messiah will be cut off or the covenant with us will be cut, and I think it's a little bit of both. So after 69 weeks, you watch for the Messiah, he will be cut off. And you watch for the Messiah who is cut off, on the new, and he, he makes a new covenant. And the word covenant is what we call testament, a new testament. So we're going, wow, we have the right Messiah. And this is a great thing to know, because we have the real thing. And we still use this saying today. How do we say this? Well, let me cut a check for that. Modern days, let me swipe a credit card. Why do you do this? Well, you're cutting a covenant. You're saying this check is good. This credit, which I hold, is good. So Daniel says, watch for that. And after he's here, watch for the city to be destroyed by a political leader. Now, did this happen? In 70 AD, 40 years after the crucifixion, and, and, and 40 is another significant, but the Roman legions came through and destroyed Jerusalem. In fact, here's some uh, pictures of the, the huge uh, boulders that were pushed off the Temple Mount as they were trying to get to the gold that came out of the temple because the temple burned and it melted all the gold. That's how hot it got. And it started coming out of the rocks. So they literally push the rocks down to get to the gold. And and you can even see the burn marks are still on these from long ago when they uncovered them out of the ground. And what's interesting is if you look, um, look closely, it's kind of hard to see, but if you look up closely, there's indentations in the main road there. 
Because these rocks are heavy and big. And as they pushed them off the top, they landed on the roadway and dented the roadway. Um, it was kind of interesting there. But it goes on and says, The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. And desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant for, for, with many for once seven. In the middle of seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end is decreed and poured out on him. And again, we're going through this. I know this is not your typical sermon because it's, it's all, you know, we get lost in it. Even I'm lost studying it, okay? So it's okay. But this is, you know, most likely, in my opinion, the Antichrist that Jesus talks about in chapter 4 of Matthew. So what do we do with all of this? Well, I'm going to give you a few things. You might even add some of your own. One is this, nobody completely understands the end times, but we should try to study it, we should look at it, but we shouldn't obsess on it. We shouldn't obsess on it, but we don't avoid it. Find some good authors that disagree with each other to get a good rounded view. I want you to remember one thing, one of the most important things in all of this is not when does the tribulation start, now, who is the Antichrist? The most important thing to do is to back away and see the big picture. And we see Christ is right there in the center of it all. And us, who are the saints, are looking up to him, and we say what? I'm not going to hell. That's the most important thing. Even when I go through troubles... Even when I go through the time of pressing, I know that he is the most important thing, and that's what I follow. See, the most important thing is not the facts. They're fascinating, but the most important thing is Christ, the fact that Jesus knows me and not condemning me to hell, the fact that one day I won't struggle with my sin nature any longer, and I won't have to put up with that. I won't, you know, I won't, you know, have this lust after certain situations or people or food or, or whatever. I won't seek to fulfill my needs in unhealthy ways. I'll get to stop gossiping. I'll get to stop hating other people. You know, I'll, I'll even maybe like myself better, you know? Imagine that. See, our God is a God of completion, and he will complete everything. Therefore, we don't have to worry. So, as we try to understand everything in his word, don't worry. Either he returns or I die. Either way, I'm golden, right? Because I'm going to heaven. I'm in good shape. Are you today? Are you in good shape today? That's the question for you. Because wide is the path that leads to hell and narrow is the path that leads to God. One other thing. Of all the things to know about the end times... And some are important and some not so important. But one important thing to know is that he is, the, he is an atoner of sins. He is the atoner of sins. And you need to know that before the 77s are up, right? Before either this afternoon of Christ returns in or in 30 years or 300 years. But especially before you die, you need to know that. We need to prioritize what we know about the scriptures. It's great to study Daniel, but 
we're not going to study Daniel for 15 years. You know what I'm saying? I could go right into Revelations for this, but I, you know, I think Revelations is, is more of a, a Wednesday night study than a Sunday morning study. Who knows? Maybe I'll do it on a Sunday morning sometime, but we could get really lost in it all. We need to prioritize what we're learning about God. It's great to know about the end times, but does it affect our relationship with Christ other than solidifying what Christ will do for us? I would say not much. But there are things about scriptures and the relationship that we have with Jesus that can and will affect us on a daily basis that has eternal consequences, not only for us, but for those that we're around. Because we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the earth. Well, we're getting close to being out of time today, so... I just want to end with this. End times is great. It's great to study it. It's great to understand it a little bit. We're not going to completely understand it. But first and foremost is our relationship with him. It's not the knowing part. As much as I want you to know the scriptures, as much as I know that as we go through it book by book, verse by verse, as much as we do that... It's not the knowing part, it's the living part. It's the witness that we're out into this world. How many times have you wanted to witness and you held back? You know, I'm not a good stand on the street corner evangelistic, you know, let me shove the Bible down your throat. That's not me. But most of our evangelistic tendencies or most of most of what, what should happen is the life we live on a daily basis that does more than standing on a street corner shouting at people what witness when when tough times come who's there for them when things go wrong who's there for them are you there or are you not are you acting like God or are you not acting like God? These are important questions for us to think about as we continue to, to study the Word of God because it's not about the knowledge, it's about putting it into practice. Well, let's pray and we'll come up and do one last song and lead us out today. Lord, I, I know we kind of hit a confusing passage, one that's even hard to preach, much less understand. But Lord, as we go through this and we look at it all, we understand that you're in control of our future. We don't know when the 77s are up. We don't know the exact day that you're going to return. But Lord, we look forward to that day. I pray, Lord, that we're not caught unaware when that happens. That as we're looking for you, that we're living out your covenants on this earth. We're living out your word, your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy as we give, those to other, give that to other people because we receive so much, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.